Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for coming to this session. Really delighted to be able to move our focus now uh, with some concentration on the nature of the image. And um, delighted to welcome two senior practitioners who've um, interrupted their very busy news and production days to be with us today. Um, first to speak will be Tony Hicks from the Associated Press, and then it'll be Francesca Sears from Magnum Photos, not Sagnum, which is the new. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, there's a bit of bio in the in the. Um, program online which you have access to but I just wanted to invite them to say something about themselves because um, in addition to being us seeing the professional front end of what image making means these are also very personal journeys for specific individuals and the way that they see the world frames a sensibility which then we inherit as we explore the imagery so if you wanted to say something by way of introduction I think that's always really nice for an audience so welcome first of all. Tony, do you want to go first? Thank you very much, Pratap. Thank you. Uh, obviously, I'm assuming you're reading the, uh, the short bio uh, on me. I've uh, been in this business now for over 25 years. Uh, I know that's hard to believe, but uh, that, that's, that, that's true. Uh, started off in, uh, in, in small agencies, graduated to a large agency, or the largest in the world, AP. Uh, and in that time, I've sort of, you know, sort of spanned the, the age of, 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 of film, I started off in E6, went to C41, di early days digital, which uh, I think everyone knows was, uh, was a nightmare, but uh, it's obviously progressed, and just, just, just the, whole, the whole change in how the, uh, how, how the industry works. The, I won't say the invention of the internet, but the, the utilization of the internet by news organizations and media outlets, which I think has had the biggest impact on what we do, and has made, uh, it made our jobs more interesting, but also at the same time more challenging. Okay, and Tony will introduce uh, that, what that means through his work in a moment. But just before that, I also wanted to introduce Francesca. I'm really delighted that we've got somebody from the uh, hard news, current affairs end of things in, in, in Tony at AP. And then also a very different tradition uh, that's emerged and been nurtured, cultivated through Magnum. Um, I'll let Francesca yeah. introduce herself. Uh, so that. my name is Francesca Sears, and I'm the content director at Magnum Photos. Um, I have had experience both at Magnum for five years, not just now, but I was there for five years uh, earlier on in my career, and then I went to Panos Pictures, which is another small photo agency. Um, and prior to that, I was um, a gallerist, uh, a photo gallerist, um, and then originally I started off as a journalist, so I've sort of done full circle. Um, and at Magnum, we have a very different type of agency to, to AP, the agency is actually owned by the photographers, so it's a cooperative. It's the, actually the oldest artist cooperative in the world. Uh, we will be 70 years next year. So it's a big process to get voted in to become a Magnum photographer. So it's a sort of they self-select each other, um, which is a rather competitive and complicated process. Uh, and it takes four years for a photographer to become a full member. Uh, we have about 60 photographers uh, based around the world, and we have four officers. Um, and I guess I'll talk a bit more as we go through the work. So, very good. So, let's, let's uh, get some images shared between us and see how we respond to them. So, first up is Tony. Thanks. Okay, great. Okay, hello again, everybody. Okay, I just, I've just picked on three, three main... We'll get on the... Uh, On, on three main stories that have taken place over the last year or so. Number one is the migration crisis that, that's, uh, that, that's sort of been 
probably the longest ongoing story we've had for, for, for a long, long time. Then there will be the Paris attacks and also the most recent Brussels attacks, which I think have dominated you know, how, we, how, how we, we've been operating in, in AP in Europe. So I'll just run, run through some images again. If there's anything there that really like, strikes you and you want to ask a question about, then, then, then feel free, or we can wait, wait till the end. But as you know, it, the, the migration crisis isn't like a, a Paris-style attacks or a, or a Brussels attacks where it's all sort of condensed in one place. At some stage last year, it, it spread. It was all the way from, from Turkey, even further back, all the way through Greece, Lesbos, up through the Balkans, all the way into, all the way into Germany. So... In terms of coverage, it was one of the most difficult stories we've ever had to cover. It wasn't something you could actually pinpoint and say, we need people there, we need to do this. You had to, you had to organize, and again, you have a finite amount of resources, both in terms of people and also in terms of the, the financial side of things, which we said we would talk about. <laughs> uh, and so you, know, you, have, you have to pick your moments well. You know, ideally, you'd stick someone on Lesbos for 12 months, but you can't do that. So anyway, so this is a series. They are slightly, the migration part is slightly mixed up. It's a, it's a combination of, uh, of where we followed it throughout the, uh, throughout the year. So that was in Germany, for example. That was taken in, the, uh, in, in, in Macedonia. Idiomeni. Coming ashore in Lesbos. Lesbos, actually a very, very, very moving, moving image. Lesbos again. Again, Lesbos. Uh, particularly just the innocence of that image, I think that, you know, I think sometimes you see the image through, through the eyes of a, of, of a child. You know, he, he has no idea. You know, he, he, he looks as though he's going on holiday. And he's just, uh, what, what, what awaits him, you know, we just, we just don't know. So just, just to quickly go back over that, the, the, the whole migration, that little, that little, that little small section of our, our imagery that we took over the last 12 months on, on, on the migration crisis. To be honest, I could have been here for three, and a, three or four hours just going through great images. It, uh, it, it has been sort of, you know, there's been a wealth. If you, can, if you see all the, the recent awards season, pretty much migration has been, the, uh, has been the, the, main, the main winner in terms of, you know, in terms of the, the photography prizes. It, uh, yeah, it, it's just been... Incredibly powerful. It's on our it's on our own doorstep. You know, you, you, did did you think this would this, this would happen? No, you wouldn't. And I think again, talking about AP, maybe some people's idea of like a big agency like Associated Press or maybe the other big ones is that we we, we deal in certain style of imagery, big, bold, in your face. 
Uh, and I think that selection there, there's a, there's a cross-section. It, it proves that, you know, there are detail shots. There are shots of, you know, sort of the individual. It, it's just a, a whole range of, uh, of, of, of what we do these days and, and, and what works. Uh, you know, we were going to talk about this later, but I'll bring it up now. You know, sort of 25, 30 years ago, you, you, were, you, were, you were providing for one market and one market with a fairly, for an agency, with a fairly sort of rigid... Uh, sort of user base. It was, you know, it, it was one image that was going to appear on the front of a newspaper or inside a newspaper. It was, there was no online use. There was no rolling news. There was no latest. So there is this sort of you know, need and desire to, to consistently update with, at the same time maintaining quality and at the same time not boring people. Uh, it might be, might be hard to say that, but uh, you know, day in, day out, images of boats coming into Lesbos after a while, we're going to, if not get boring, they were going to sort of, people want something else to challenge them. And I think you need, to, you need to look for that. You need to look for something that just makes people think slightly differently about how a, how, how, how a situation is, how a situation is unfolding. So that's, that, that was the migration part. That, again, as I said, was like, was like a story that in itself, just, it didn't end. It's still ongoing. It's still happening. It's easier now to cover in many ways because it's all concentrated in one country, in Greece. There's no way out for these people, so you don't have to spat, you don't have to put your, your, your teams and your photographers across across half of Europe. So that made it difficult in that sense. What we're coming to now is is, is two back-to-back -back, back attacks, terrorist attacks, which 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 in the last last year or so have have, have blighted Europe, and in turn they bring up a whole other set of challenges for documenting and also uh, and also how you actually get your content to your customer base. So this, this is a bit of, this, is, this actually is not from the Paris attacks. This is, this is the immediate aftermath to Charlie, Charlie Hebdo. Uh, I think why, why I chose this one first of all was it wasn't the actual attack. I don't think the actual attack made a great, great still images. I think for me the best still images or the best images I remember from, the, from, from Charlie Hebdo on the actual moment was the, were the frame grabs of the, uh, of, of, from the TV footage of the guys actually uh, executing the police officers outside the, uh, outside the offices. Uh, but this seemed to, for me, this sort of summed up Charlie Hebdo and the difference between that and the attacks in November in the sense there was a sense of, there was a sense of defiance in Paris, which I, there was a, it was a lot less in November. There was, on, on the night of the attacks, people gathered in the Place de Republique, uh, you know, as it says, not afraid. You know, three or four days later, they were, they, they, um, how many millions marched through the streets of, streets of Paris, including world leaders? After November the 13th, things like that were, were, were discouraged because there was a fear that there'd be another one imminently. So that, for me, was one of the standout images from, uh, from, from Charlie Hebdo. But go, now going through to November the, November the 13th, that was just a very simple, simple image. It's just one body outside one of the, uh, one, one of the cafes that, that was attacked. It was taken by, uh, by one, of our, one of our top photographers, Jerome Delay, some of you may know him, who was, uh, who was actually in Paris on, on holiday at the time. He heard that the, that, the, uh, that the shooting was going on. He got on his bike. He rode down there. Probably got there a little bit late to get any of the real sort of you know, hard-hitting moments, but as a lot of good photographers, he made the best of what he got. And he just got that, that single image of a, of a body under a sheet on a Parisian street, which it was almost a case of like that one person, that one 
dead body, almost like summing it up for the, uh, for, for, for the 100 or so, 100, more than 100 that actually died, died that night. And also, when you're, when you're planning a story as well, when you're covering a story, obviously, for me, what you want to win is, and I still say that, you want to win the first day. The, 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 day that, the day that the news breaks, the next day, or that night with the websites, but the next day, you want to be the front of the newspapers. You want to, you, that, that for me, is, is, is really where you get your, get your stuff together and get, it, uh, and, and get it right. But what you need to do is, you need to then learn, to, you need to follow up. And I think with, with the Paris attacks, there were lots of follow-ups, which... Uh, which, which kept the story going for, for, for weeks and weeks. Well, it, it's still going now with all the arrests in, uh, in, in Belgium. So again, there was a slight, you know, this, this is outside one of, the, one of the cafes that were attacked. This was taken a few days afterwards. Again, there's a gathering of people, but, you know, talking to the photographers who were there and others, it, there, was, there was less of a, of, of a feeling of defiance. It was more sort of, you know, we need, to, we need to mark, you know, we need to show respect to those who have died and show our mourning. But uh, it was... Two minutes left. Okay, let me get going. Okay, this is this is a great image. This this, this is a fantastic image. This is by, by Peter de Jong. He was he was brought in from the Netherlands to cover to cover this story. He. This is on the Sunday when they were outside again paying their respects, and some idiot let off some firecrackers, and you just see you just see the the, the panic. It, it was the, the panic in the streets of Paris, uh, and again. Children, it's you know look at look at the fear in the faces of the children. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it's won a lot of awards and, and, and rightfully so. Paris, d different image. Yeah, yeah. That's on the raid in Saint Denis. Again, would, do you expect to see police officers running around like the Wild West in, in, in the streets of Paris? And again, just just a nice different image showing that you know what AP, what Reuters, what AFP do these days is different what we were doing 25 years ago. Quickly, this one can come up maybe in the discussion later. This is a, a piece of UGC, user-generated content. It was from the Brussels attacks. It was taken by a member of the public, albeit somebody who worked for a TV station. It is the key image, I, I think, from the, from the day of the attack, is the image that was used most uh, globally. Uh, it just, yeah, it's, well, I've only got two minutes. I'm not sure. Again, UGC, I think, is something we need to talk about during this conversation because I think it's so, so important to what we do these days. And you need to follow up on a story. You need to have mourning. Again, that image was used, used extensively front page on, from the Place de la Bourse. I think I'm done. everyone but a little bit lower um, it's actually quite it's, it's really interesting because <laughs> there are some instances that we'll come across where we actually have the same moment in time in both the migration crisis and in Paris actually anyway we'll, we'll see that as we look through the images I thought it would be worth just starting with a little bit about the agency so um, I begin by just showing we, we are 70 we will be 70 years old next year uh, we were founded by Henri Cartier-Resson, Robert Capper, George Roger, uh, and David Chim Seymour, who were, in, a couple of them themselves, were actually refugees. And I thought it would be worth just showing that we have been covering humanitarian crises of all sorts for nearly 70 years. 
So the first, uh, the first image, top left, is actually by Henri Cartier-Bresson, and this is a, a transit camp between the American and Soviet zones, uh, organized for refugees and political prisoners. Uh, and this is actually a young Belgian woman and former Gestapo informer being identified as she, as she tried to hide amongst the crowd. And that's shot in 1945. And then the other top image, you'll see that's, that's Germans, German farmers fleeing uh, during the Second World War. The bottom is uh, a, an image by George Roger. This is the bombings in Coventry. Again, uh, this is 1940. And the very last image is by David Chim Seymour. Uh, this is actually a picture of a refugee child, and this is her trying to describe what home looks like for her. So you can see we've been covering these kinds of things for many years. Um, at Magnum, we have started to create a new department where we are actually commissioning our own content, um, which is partly why I've been come back to the agency. Um, up until recently, really, we've been taking commissions from clients in the usual way. The photographers are making their own projects, their own stories, shooting, um, and then we'd be trying to distribute them to the media. So it's quite a departure for Magnum to actually start to put money themselves um, ahead of a story and say, this is something that we want to cover and we want to do it extensively, and this is what we're going to do. So um, in September, a uh, number of photographers set out um, with support from Magnum to go and cover the crisis and the refugees arriving across Europe. Um, this is a series of pictures by Thomas Dvorak uh, on the Hungarian-Serbian border. So this is September last year. As you can see, it's, it's also covering the, the, the chaos that's <laughs> left by the media as they're trying to cover the situation. Again, more images by Thomas. Um, one thing that we try to do is try and tell, do you know, storytelling in an in, in innovative and creative way, trying to use all the different forms of, of ways of photographing, of interacting with the subjects, participatory photography, um, all different sorts of formats, not just uh, digital, but also using iPhones, um, trying to understand how quickly to disseminate images that you can actually have more impact if you can get them out quicker. Um, versus potentially also coming back and doing a long-term story, which again is what, what our guys do. So he, he played around with trying to do some social media um, coverage with just using um, Instagram. And then of course the most, the image that perhaps we'll come back to later about the power of the image and, and the image of the child of Ilan Kurdi on the beach in Lesbos. So this is a picture by Alex Maioli. Um, He's covered many, many crises across the world. He's um, specialized a lot in the Middle East. Um, and he's currently actually looking at a much wider project on European identity crisis. Uh, so for him, this is the migration and the refugee crisis is very much part of this wider picture um, of us reflecting upon what it is to be Europe today, what are borders today. Um, and this is one of many uh, images that he's shot on Lesbos. He actually uses, um, he's a very tall Italian man, and he uses flash, off-camera flash. So often, you know, his work has been both praised and criticized for having external use of flash to help kind of create a theatrical um, environment. Of course, this doesn't need any extra theater. This is, you know, this is real-life crisis here. I suppose for me, and this can be debated, but I, I tend to find that some of his images have much greater power because of the way that he's shot them. So it's not to detract from the subject matter, but for myself, I find as a viewer, I want to explore that image for longer. So for me, I find it's a device that in sometimes, some instances, even in a photojournalistic environment, it can actually have quite a powerful impact. 
this is a se series of images by Peter van Achtmel. He followed this family um, from he followed this family from Croatia. So they're a Syrian family uh, traveling, and he met them. He actually met them in Lesbos, and then followed them, and met up, met up again with them in Croatia. And he's now following them on their journey through to Germany. This last uh, bottom image on the right there, um, they've actually been given refuge um, by a Syrian community that have paid for um, Syrian refugees to have uh, several nights in a hotel. Um, and this is them arriving in Austria. And subsequently, he has also gone and met with them again in, in these recent months and actually spent time with them in Austria. So this is a series of images by Moises, uh, Moises Saman. He actually, this was a, a Der Spiegel assignment, um, and what he did with the, with the journalist from Der Spiegel, he actually went and did the, the journey in the reverse. So um, he actually started uh, up in Germany and went backwards um, to see what it was like for refugees coming across each of the different borders and the different things that they had to um, cope with. Um, this is a young child obviously being, trying to be keep, keeping out of the rain. And they're, they're celebrating over there. They've landed on Lesbos, and they're relieved, of course, to be alive. As part of the project, we also wanted to look not just at what was happening and the impact of the refugees arriving in Europe um, and their journeys and their personal stories, but we also started to want to look back at some of the source countries where refugees are, are uh, arriving from emanating from and the problems that they're encountering in their home countries. Um, this is a series of images shot by Jerome, sorry, by uh, Lorenzo Meloni, and we're in Libya here. So this is actually um, some people smugglers um, who are helping migrants to um, get across the Sahara Desert. Uh, the bottom image here is the Libyan uh, naval brigade who have actually captured these migrants who are obviously illegal immigrants at this point. Um, and they're sort of displaying them, and they will now be put in detention. And those are things that have been, um, detain have been taken away from the detainees. As part of this uh, wider project on migration, uh, Magnum made a partnership with the International Committee for the Red Cross, um, and through them we were able to get access into um, all sorts of places that, as an agency, we probably would not, never have been able to get access without an NGO partner. Um, they work um, in, in many different countries around the world, but they are particularly strong um, with the Red Cross and the Red Crescent in, in Syria and in the Middle East. So we had several trips, in fact, to Syria with them. These images are shot by Jerome Sassini. Um, this was shot in February this year. And as part of the work that they do there, they work a lot with rehabilitating uh, citizens um, who have lost limbs for all sorts of different reasons to do with the conflict. Um, and actually, the young child, I think he has diabetes, so he's coming for some uh, treatment. This is actually another shot by uh, Lorenzo Meloni. Uh, this is shot in early, early this month, earlier in April in Syria again. This is in Homs. Uh, he went during the period of the ceasefire. And this is Aleppo. Sorry, this is Homs. 
Uh, we also went with International Red Cross back to Iraq. Iraq has um, hundreds of thousands of internally displaced people, so many of them, of course, are not making their way away from the conflict and the crises there. Um, and these are Sunni refugees. They're actually returning to their homes or what's left of their homes um, once things are quietened down. This young girl is writing in, again, what's left of her house. This is George Pinkasoff. He went with International Red Cross also to Afghanistan. Again, many internally displaced people there. Um, and this is, again, where International Red Cross worked to re rehabilitate many of the citizens that have been affected by the war. Trying to um, understand the picture of the crises, we also <coughs> thought we should go and look at the, the, the camps that are in Jordan. These have been set up for many, many years. So we went to Zatari and to Azraq. Um, we, we thought that a different approach would be to try and look at the architecture of the crisis, the physical structures that are being put up to try and um, accommodate all of the influx of people that are fleeing. Um, so this is just a series of images that mark power shots, large format camera, trying to look at what we see a great deal of um, from the camps, but trying to do it from a slightly distant perspective to see, um, try and get a different point of view. And actually, you can understand quite a lot more about how things are managed. It's incredibly well managed, these camps. Um, they have lots of different aid agencies that are working in tandem. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a huge operation. I mean, you don't see them here, but there's all sorts of, you know, uh, medical facilities, educational facilities. Um, it's come across a few of the, of the talks today. Um, it's, it's quite an, you know, it's an incredible operation. Trying to give a different viewpoint, we also wanted to understand the picture of aid and uh, to, see, to try and understand how aid is delivered to the camps um, and how refugees are helped um, in the neighboring countries. So we worked with UNHCR and with the World Food Program. In um, Dubai, there's something called the International Humanitarian Center, where there are lots and lots of warehouses where they collect and collate all the different um, supplies that they need to deliver to the, to the different refugee camps, um, and also to villages and, and towns, not just to the camps, but to the places that they work in the region. So here we are in, in Dubai, in International Humanitarian Center, and this is where lots of the kit is put together, the training, um, and the, literally the clothing, the helmets, um, and the food. Food, uh, plates, cups, um, sanitary wear, blankets. So we tried, tried to understand what are the mechanisms for trying to support uh, nearly a million people on the move. How do, you, how do you get them help? What does it look like when you're collating and transporting? Uh, so we did a series of pictures there, and then we went... Uh, this is all Matt Black, sorry, I didn't say. So Matt Black then followed um, the path of some of this aid, um, and he went with uh, the World Food Program to South Sudan. And until we had support from them, it was absolutely impossible to get into South Sudan. So as an agency trying to start to do commissioning, you know, self-commissioning, it actually was quite a serious learning curve without going into these very dangerous and complicated places, without an aid agency or a partner that works on the ground very closely, you know, it's, it's not a very viable proposition. Anyway, we did manage it, and this is the airdrop uh, of the food. Um, and then, I think this is lastly, 
We also looked with a, a Belgian photographer called Bika Deporte, um, looked at the beginnings of the first instances where families are actually being able to host um, Syrian, Afghani, all sorts of different refugee uh, families in their own homes. So we have photographs from Belgium, Paris, London, and Glasgow. And it's actually quite a complicated process. Again, of course, it's a lot to do with privacy and identity. Um, people don't necessarily want to be photographed. Many of these people are still seeking asylum, so they weren't necessarily sure that they wanted to be uh, photographed. So it was you know, a big process of, um, of getting permissions and, and making sure that the people in the photographs understood exactly what, was, you know, what we were asking of them. Um, and many, many, of course, said no, which is quite understandable. Um, we worked with a company, with an organisation, NGO called Positive um, Action in Housing. Okay. Okay. This is a video that I can just. So we're just moving on. Sorry, I'll just say thank you. Yeah. So just that was basically just to give you an, an, an overarching picture of how Magnum might cover what is a huge crisis going on in the world today, the largest crisis, um, and. We don't usually do uh, breaking news. That's not really how our photographers work. They like to work on stories for a very long time. Um, many of them specialize in areas, um, either geographical areas or types of um, communities uh, or issues. Uh, we have one photographer, Abbas, who's been covering religion for 50 or 60 years. Um, and so last November, it was very unusual that we had 20 photographers on the ground in Paris um, it happened to be the photo festival of Paris Photo. So many photographers were there. Many Magnum photographers are also um, collectible artists. So you'll find that they often have um, big artworks and exhibitions. So quite separately from photojournalism or maybe with photojournalism, um, they will also have a big cultural um, you know, output. So it was unusual that we were there. This is a video that actually you know, we will talk about again later that was syndicated in the end through AP. Um, it's a short video by a photographer called Patrick Zachman. So he is a photographer that has specialized in China. He has done huge, great projects in France. Um, he has also shot some uh, films. But, you know, he was just a guy, a Frenchman on the street in this particular instance, and he saw the police cars streaming past him. He jumped on his moped, and he hadn't, you know, he kind of reignited his journalistic instinct that he hadn't really tapped into in that immediate way for many, many years. He jumped on his moped, and he followed them, um, and then he got this footage just on his iPhone 4, and as it transpired, it was the only footage of that particular shooting, uh, listening to the Bataclan and the shooting going on. Um, and this is some of the coverage that we got. So although we're predominantly a stills photo agency, we ended up being in a position over that weekend of trying to sell and syndicate um, video footage that went all over something like 30 to 40 broadcast channels around the world uh, because it was unique footage. And in the end, we enlisted the support of AP, um, because really we're not set up to do that at all. So what we do more of, usual stuff, we had assignments with photographers on the ground. Um, so it's interesting, it's the same image, it's the same moment.
but this is a magnum photographer's taking. This is Peter van Achtemel. He's trying to get the scenario. He wants you to see the people. He wants you to see French people in that moment, their anguish, not just the body on the pavement. So it's quite interesting to see the comparison. Um, uh, Paolo Pellegrin on the bottom. You know, somebody looking at the bullet holes um, afterwards, obviously the grief, and that's Paolo Pellegrin in the, in, the, in the nighttime. So that's just usual assignment stuff on the ground. You get a call, um, you know, the CNN in one instance, it was Le Monde on the other, um, and the photographers go out on the ground, and they're working immediately that night, um, and then they worked on assignment with those publications for the next following days to see how it played out, how, you know, Parisians reacted, how French reacted, and so on. Alex Maioli. And then, just, I suppose, a way to typify slightly the difference between um, our styles. Um, so part of this new commissioning budget, if you like, photographers can come and say to us, I really want to cover something, and I really would like to do it this way. Um, so Mark Power, in this instance, he said, I really, want to, I really want to go back. I was there on the night. I'm, you know, my large format photographer. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react. Um, but it affected me hugely. I would like to go back uh, to Paris and spend some time and reflect upon what, uh, what that night meant, went, meant to me, but also to, to Paris. Um, so he has gone overnight in the middle of the night. So this is 4 a.m. Um, and he's gone back to all of the important um, places where incidents and terrible things happened, atrocities happened that night. Um, and he's shot them <coughs> slow, you know, slow exposure. He doesn't want anybody in the pictures. He just wants, you know, people to have a chance to reflect upon those, on those spaces and that morning. And Place Republique at 6 a.m. The light some, please. So many thanks for those presentations. Lots of, uh, gosh, lots of questions in my mind, but I think it would be much better if we're led by you. So if there are questions or comments, well, let's keep them brief, but as many as we can. We'll start with the gentleman at the back in the corner, please. Thanks. Um, uh, hello? Hello. Is it working? <laughs> I can hear you. We can hear you. Go, go ahead. Right. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, what are like the ethics if you're like um, doing photojournalism? If there's like kids there, or if there's a person who's wounded, like the uh, at the Brussels airport, because mm. um, wouldn't it be kind of like awkward if someone's there and you're just like taking photos or? Thank you. That's, that's got to be, oh gosh, one of the central questions, words we come back to. Ethics. How does that work? For the protocol. Oh, and protocol, okay, yeah, so there are yeah. industry norms as well. Do you want to say for each of your commissioning environments or practice environments what that word ethics means for you? Maybe giving an example from one or two of the images we've, we've seen. Who wants to go first? Huh? Okay, I, I can start with that. In, in terms of, you know, what, what do you do? I think it's one of the, tough, one of the toughest questions a photographer will have. You know, we, we, are there to, we are there to document. Uh, we're not there to, we're there to report the news, document the news. We're not there to make the news, you know, in, in, in most cases. I know some photographers who, who, who like to make the news themselves. Uh, but uh, it, it is a very difficult question, you know. When, when do you break off? When, when, when do, you, do, you, do you say, right, that's enough. I, I'm, I'm now going to sort of, you know, get involved. We have had instances of photographers who have put down their cameras and, uh, and assisted, you know, sort of people coming ashore or, uh, you know, people in, in situations where they've been caught, caught in, a, in, in an explosion or a terrorist attack. 
you know, it is very much, uh, I think, a personal, uh, a personal decision. You know, in, in terms of AP, we don't say, you know, up to this point you report and up to this point you, uh, you, you, you actually, you know, actively get involved and, and, and change, the, change the course of events. I think part of that question was about specific industry protocols. Was that right? What would be normal when there's maybe a young child or a, a, a disturbed child you know, witnessing something terrible? Do you, what kind of guidance would you give? Uh, in, 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 t in terms of guidance, it, it's just a very, very difficult, diff difficult question, difficult situation. Uh, you know, we obviously are, well, we are in a competitive industry. You know, we, you want to get the image. But at the same time, you don't want to st stand back and, uh, and, and, see, uh, and, and see things happen that you can maybe, may, maybe stop and change. Okay. Francesca, do you want to come Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say that it's a very individual um, decision by the photographer, and I definitely know there are many instances in, in many different scenarios where the photographer has absolutely put the camera down um, or flung it over the shoulder. Um, in a sense, fa uh, Magnum was founded by Ro George Rogers' decision not to photograph. That's right. In a, in a way. We might yeah. come back to that, but, yeah. but just on this, on this question. Yeah. Um, for us, I think w we always try to m make sure that the photographer has interaction with the subject and tries to get as much information about the person. And in the instance with a child, you know, it's very difficult. You're trying to find if there is a you know, consenting adult in that moment. You know, it's, it's happening in a flash, so that's very unlikely in many instances. But you know, the, the environments where you're trying to be um, you know, careful, you will try to capture as much information about the persons that you are photographing as well. There's, there's another dynamic critique here, is that many of the agencies uh, and many of the professional photographers are from the so-called developed world, and they're practicing in parts of, in the global south in many cases. Um, and there's certain things that, would we do the same thing mm. if it was here? I mean, it is here now, isn't it? But looking at the imagery you see back, I, yeah. is that... Well, we had um, photographs of um, the plane that came down in the Ukraine, and actually it was Jerome Sassinian. It was um, MH13, 17, and he what happened to be in the Ukraine because he was covering the conflict there, um, but actually he was first on the scene and he covered the crash, and he had photographs which showed Western people, white-colored people in all sorts of, you know, very, very um, distressing positions, and it we came under a lot of scrutiny at that time. Uh, we did put them on the Magnum website, like we would with any other imagery, like we would of imagery of people from the Global South. Um, and yeah, actually, the, me the media, in fact, the Guardian in particular, was particularly angry that we had done that and that we had treated a situation where we might consider, you know, people from the developed world had been seen in, in positions of discomfort and uh, all sorts of hideousness. Um, yeah, so that... We came, but we felt that we should. You know, it, it wasn't an open. It's an open source place. You can go and look at the photographs on Magnum, um, but many of them chose not to put them on the front covers. Okay. I think I think that one of the problems for for, for AP is because unless I, I've got, got the way that Magnum operates wrong, AP does have a, primarily has a, has a push system. We push our content out to our customers, and a lot of our content, uh, some of our customers, it's it's a direct publication. If somebody somewhere on a photo desk presses a button to send an image that image is published. Not everywhere, a lot of it's curated still and the, and the best sites are still curated, but some of it is automatic, automatically published. And so you have to be doubly careful uh, and sensitive about what you, about what you move on, on the wire. We are less squeamish than we were a number of years ago. Can you give an example of something that you won't uh, push? 
Uh, I, well, we, we pretty much push an awful lot of stuff. The reason being is what we do now is, is we, we do have this... Uh, we we make, it, make an image online out so it doesn't get automatically published. It goes to a newspaper picture desk or a website that's curated. And if someone's paid, you know, reasonable money to look at images, then they can make that, that, that call. At the same time, you know, blood, guts, gore that is, that, is, that is gratuitous and really doesn't add anything to the story, then we, we would seriously think twice about actually using it at all. And have you had much of that that you've decided not to use? Uh, lucky enough, recently, no. Okay. But I, I would say, for example, there was a slight discussion to begin with initially about the Island Kurdi picture. Mm. You know, do, do, do we move that? Do we move the one of him being carried away by the policeman where you can't really see the child's face? And then, you know, we just, it was just such a powerful image that I think, you know, and again, if anyone was, felt uncomfortable about it, I think for a short period of time, I think that image did more good and we did a lot of good. It, it did bring that, uh, that, 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 that whole migration problem and the fact that it is mm. killing people to... Uh, Shut relief. Okay. Yeah. Um, can I just... I've got a gentleman here. Uh, can I just check? Did we answer your question? Yeah. You're happy with that? Okay. So gentleman here at the front on my left is next and then coming to you. Yeah. If anyone wants to speak, just show me because then I know how quickly to get through things. Hi. Um, Tony, you know me. I've been taking pictures for a long time. Um, yeah. I have, um, I've worked in Afghanistan for a long time. I've photographed lots of death and dying. I've often been encouraged by family members to come in and, and capture what's happening. Um, but there's a growing trend in the West, in the UK, in France. I've worked in, in the Calais, uh, I hate to use the phrase, but the jungle refugee camp. Um, and actually there are lots of... Uh, people who are pushing back against uh, photography and, and video work um, here um, because, well, for many reasons. And I'm interested to, to know if you guys are experiencing that and what you think is causing it. Okay, so that's a question about pushback. We might come back to you once they've spoken to see how you've handled an example from your own experience. Thank you. Good question. Yeah. I, I, I would say, on the whole, we, we would respect that. If, if someone pushes back, we would respect their, their, their wishes not to, be, not to be photographed. As I said, I know, you, you know in, in, especially in some instances, people have invited photographers in to document, look, you know, look what's happening, look what's happened to us. But uh, you know, I, we, we would respect that. Uh, yeah, especially if it involves, you know, sort of, you know, if it's a delicate situation, we, we, would, we wouldn't uh, force our way in and, uh, and, and just you know, go against people's wishes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely know from um, <clears throat> our experiences in, um, in Afghanistan and in Iraq, people are much more aware there, and definitely there are people that have been photographed who are being helped by International Red Cross, for example, who you know, were happy in the initial instance and then were not happy for their images to be used, and that, that's fine. Um, and actually working with ICRC, it's part of, of, of the way the relationship works with the photographers. It's one of the toughest um, contracts, if you like, to be, to be working with them as an NGO because we do absolutely agree that they must, absolutely with people that don't want their images to be used, to um, respect that. But also if in working with um, certain, in certain situations where they could be called into question for their um, partisanship, we have to be very careful, and so any of those images also cannot be used. So, yeah, we're very uh, aware that that can be a problem. Francesca, you also talked about in terms of the dynamics of production at Magnum. You, many of your photographers uh, tend to be 
and put it on a slower burn or they have longer, they've got a more photoessayistic documentary approach. Does that change or impact the nature of the relationships and therefore lead to a different kind of way of visualising? Yeah. Um, I would say that sometimes, um, for example, with Peter Van Achtemel or with Moises, or actually I, I could cite many of them, they, are, they have long-standing working relationships with both either individual families, individuals, or communities. So returning again and again, you're building, a, building trust over a period of time, um, and that allows you to have a certain level of access that you probably wouldn't get if you were there too briefly. And many photographers end up either living in the country or countries or the region where they want to be shooting um, and understanding it for a greater period of time. And Moises is a good, good example of that. He moved okay. to, to Egypt good. for that. Thank you. I'm seeing lots of hands up, so do you mind if I collect a few more voices first? Thank you. Appreciate that. So, gentlemen, at the end here, what I'm going to do is collect two or three comments and then come back to the panel because I know lots of people want to get in. So, gentlemen here first with glasses, thank you. And then the lady with her hand up at the back, thanks. Uh, hello, I'm Richard Howells from King's College London. And you both showed us some great images. Thank you. In fact, great images, Tony, was a phrase you used. And I agree. But it seems to me that the reason I thought so many of the images you showed were great was for reasons of form rather than just content. Uh, I like the lighting, which, to which Francesca alluded. I enjoyed the composition. And so I have a two-part question for you. The first is, to what extent is the selection of images we see influenced by aesthetics rather than sheer content? And consequently, to what extent is our understanding of crisis aesthetically driven? That's a great question. I'm just going to hold it in our minds while we collect a couple of other comments. So the lady at the back, please. Hello. Um, just to echo what the gentleman just said, thank you for showing some incredible images. In some respects, it's made the session a lot more moving than previous sessions and quite powerful, so thank you. Um, it's a, I don't know how to phrase this question, but um, sub food for thought and to hear your opinions. Um, how do you feel when you are, the images you choose, the images you choose to publish, and the wider context they bring, um, any prejudices they may, for example, co confirm? Um, having worked for an international development charity and done a lot of fundraising communications, one of our challenges was trying to get over poverty porn. We saw the issues around, you know, um, Bob Geldof and a lot of Ethiopians and Africans really upset about this image of them. And of course, you know, I'm, as an African, I'm very conscious that. Images of Africa tend to be death, destruction, famine, warfare, and that's all we ever tend to be, or laughing goons in The Lion King. So I guess, um, how do you, how, how, what do you think when you're publishing these images? What wider discussions do you have, and how do you avoid okay. the poverty poor? Thank you. So there are two absolutely central areas here. One, one about the relationship of ethics and aesthetics or content and the way things are framed, and then a broader one that maybe touches on this as well, but the nature of, you didn't use the word stereotype, but the way in which, in, in, in that example, Africa appears in, in, in the media and whether there's any hesitation or, um, if that's the right word, what the thought processes are about which images then play into existing debates. So... That's a lot to put to you, but which of you wants to have a go at those? I just start off on the, on the aesthetics thing. I, I think a lot of it is subjective. You know, though, I, you know, I could have someone else could have been here from AP and they'd have chose you know twenty different images. Uh, you know, me personally, I like images to be you know well well formed. I like them to be clean if if, if possible. Sometimes the subject matter doesn't 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 lend itself self to that but uh, can I drill down into that a bit what does that mean well formed are these cultural judgments and if so from what place well composed well lit what does that mean 
Hmm. I think I think there, there was just like a you know a, a, for me as, as as an editor, I think the biggest one of the biggest problems we have these days, especially editing images, is that the the, the technology and the camera technology is everything is sharp. Everything you know, unless you are a bad technician and you don't know how to use your camera, everything is should be well exposed. Uh, you just have this array of imagery in front of you, and, and and to break it down into what you want to what you want to deliver to your client base has become you know an incredibly hard hard task. I don't want a medal for what I do, but that, that's what that's what it is, and it's it is incredibly subjective. What? Uh, oh, okay. So that's interesting. So there is a subjectivity around what we think of as well-formed. I think it touches the second set of comments, uh, because if from uh, an African perspective, loads of African perspectives, but if we take a general thing, as you're saying, if from that perspective um, some people are saying, it doesn't look like that to me, that isn't how I experience my community, my life, my continent, why is it only ever these two or three tropes, where does that leave us as image makers, producers, distributors, publishers? I think probably Magnum a probably better place to answer that uh, from from an AP and, and from, like a, from an AP point of view. Uh, we have uh, finite resources in, in Africa. We have to pinpoint, as I mentioned, there's the financial side. We have to pinpoint the stories we go to. Uh, so last year we, we 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 had a really crack team in Nigeria for the elections, which the coverage was was excellent. And actually, it was actually think in the end it was a feel good story. There was uh, an election that we thought this is going to kick off. Good luck is going to lose. He's not going to go willingly. It's going to be a bad story. And in the end, he, he, he walked away. He went. Next day, there was the Garissa attacks. And we had to move our people from one side of Africa to the other side. And that sort of, you know, maybe is, is the more commonplace story you see of Africa. You see, mm. you know, death, carnage. Uh, and do you think you, you were partly um, at that election because you were expecting it to be a bloodbath? We would have covered it anyway, but I think we, I think we, we bolstered our staff because we think it's going to be controversial. But that's, that's the same in the West. Yeah. You know, an election that's going to be very smooth and not going to be controversial, you're going to probably give less, uh, less uh, attention to than, uh, than one that is going to uh, raise a, a character that's pretty unsavory like a Gert Wilders or a, a Donald Trump. Okay, thank you. Did, did you want to come back on any of this? Uh, <clears throat> um, I think... Yeah, in terms of form, I think, especially from Magnum, form can take many, many, many guises. And each photographer, I mean, one of the things about Magnum is that each photographer will have a very authored vision of their own. They'll have a very strong style. Um, and that can be a myriad of different things, and it certainly isn't crisp and clean for many of them. It's all sorts of blurring. Um, it's about, you know, about ev evoking a sense of emotion um, or Im imparting some new information. It, 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 they can be, you know... They can be together or they can be apart. Um, it depends, of course, covering the crisis, and that's what we're talking about here. It would be more about you know, imparting some kind of new information and trying not to um, just uh, build upon stereotypes, but try and unpick that and actually try and do something differently and, where possible, bring the subject into the photograph. Can um, you give an example of where you've refused a stereotype or commissioned something that pointed in a different direction? Um... We've certainly worked with uh, refugees where we've actually given them the cameras. Um, so that's, that's obviously the participatory one part. Yeah. Got it. Um, 
Okay, thank you. So plenty of uh, hands up. So the lady in the middle here first and then the gentleman at the end and the lady next to him. Can I ask you to keep your comments, questions brief so we can just collect a lot of them? Go ahead, yeah. Uh, so thank you very much for those images. I feel that they're very powerful. And my uh, question is specifically around the way the refugee crisis has been documented through photography. Uh, so I kind of I believe that images evoke emotions and, and you know, it could dictate the way that we take stories and the way that we would feel about a crisis or about reports. Um, the way that I feel with the refugee crisis is that it, it kind of starts in Greece with, you know, the picture of Arlen Kurdi and the Syrian boy on the beach. And it's slowly... Um, We're nearly out of time, so I'm going to ask you to come so to a question. Uh, because of security threat. Uh, so, it's, uh, you know, I've seen pictures of uh, refugees in Cali like throwing stones to, to policemen. So I guess... Um, I, my question is like whether you know what ca what ca what role can photography play in like changing that narrative um, and whether you agree that is the narrative. Or does okay, we so we've got and just we'll hear a couple more gentlemen at the end. Hi, um, how do you verify photographs? The honesty of a photograph, because I used to work in dark rooms and I could change a photograph without mm. touching the negative. I could actually change the meaning of a photograph to mean something totally different to what. It originally was. Okay, thank you. And then the lady behind you, and then that'll be the last of our comments. Yeah, Go ahead. I, hello. Um, I believe um, a, a picture can tell a thousand stories. Um, so from my perspective, the genre of the reporting of all of this happening in Syria, very similar to uh, the, Iraq, um, the Iraq war, has been pretty much one-sided. It's always been about the victim, but don't get Can me I wrong. Can I bring you to there's, a question? There's, there's, yeah, there's victims yeah. everywhere in, in war uh, and things. Um, why has there not be en been any reporting of of the other side of the story and it's, o it's only been of, you know, women and children and, and, you know, lost limbs and things? Why hasn't there been pictures similar to... Um, I remember one being of um, Colonel Qaddafi's wife or sister, um, you know, the aftermath of, of, of their palace, and then she had, like, all of these shoes, you know, with Harrods labels on and things and, uh, and stuff like that. So why hasn't there been sort of, okay. you know, well, two sides of the story and it's only just been about, you know, all this blood, guts, tears and all that kind of stuff? Can, can someone take that question and then somebody on the um, question of doctoring photos, which, of course, electronically, we've got those tools that enable us to do all of that even more quickly. Doctoring photos, and I've just speaking for AP, it's an absolute no, no, no. Everyone knows if you do it, you no longer work for us. We've, we've had it, I think, once uh, in the last couple of years, and that person was immediately uh, sacked, no longer used again. Uh, there, are, there is certain types of software, John, you probably know that where you can actually trace back and go back through, through the, the history of an image and, and find out if it's been, 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 been doctored in, in, in Photoshop. Uh, that, that's one thing. The other thing you can do as well is if, if you, you, you can you know, edit a photo in a certain way to change its, uh, its meaning, which I think you know, for a few years or a number of years ago was actually probably looked upon as being a valid tool. And in some ways, you know, when it does happen, you look at it and you do think, actually, tell you what, that's actually a good image. But, you know, you do need to be honest, and I think you need to have a fair representation of the facts of, of the event of how it unfolded in front of you. And I think if cropping an image to make it look as though two people are doing something that they're not doing, while it may sort of, uh, you know, sort of titillate people, it's something that AP would, would, would shy away from. But the thing about, I think, and again, all agencies are the same, 
you know, you, you, if you add something or to take something away in Photoshop, you are, you are out. And, you know, it's not out in a quiet way. It's out in quite a noisy way because the, the agency wants to make it known it wasn't them and it's not their policy. And you have a, it's, it's a long time for a photographer to rebuild their reputation. Yeah, and that's, a, that's an industry norm across BBC production yeah. as well, that one of the Rome correspondents was sacked for moving uh, some drugs to another location so that <coughs> they could have a shot with the Colosseum in the background, even though the drugs were there but at a different part of the street, that person lost their job. I think because <laughs> the new session starting, we must stop. But uh, do you want to um, comment on the, the, the last la lady's um, question about why don't we have another perspective? Yes. Um, we try to have another perspective. Certainly some of the stories that we plan on shooting, and it actually goes to the point the lady was talking about, about negative stories about Africa. We're absolutely wanting to try and find much more average Joe personal stories, you know, the stories that you would see in our press here about all of us. I want to go there and find stories from, from lots of different countries in Africa. Um, there have been stories, some of the most successful stories were about the middle classes and what they do in, in Lebanon um, and in a couple of other countries. And actually, those are the daily life stories are the ones that resonate the most with us because actually they're, they're very relevant to how we feel about our daily lives. So they do exist, but they're rarer, I grant you. Thank, th thank, thank you for that comment. I'm going to encourage us to continue this conversation outside, but I really do appreciate that perspective. I want to say a very warm thank you to both Tony and Francesca for taking time out to know those today.